This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay, and I'm so grateful you're here today. Today, you're listening to episode 337, and this is our last episode in the special Under Armour All Out Mile series. Big thanks to them for supporting these bonus episodes the past four weeks. If you have not signed up for the Under Armour All Out Mile yet... That can be completed between October 1st and October 11th, and you get a full training plan from them when you sign up. It's completely free and really fun to see what you can run a mile in. I would love it if you would join my team. I'll have another. Just head over to uaalloutmile.com slash I'll have another and get signed up. All right, today you're listening to episode 337, and I'm talking with Olympian Heather McLean. Heather just ran in her first Olympics in the 1500 meters. She runs for New Balance and is coached by Mark Coogan. She trains with Ellie Perrier St. Pierre. And in this episode, we hear about her journey to making that Olympic team, what her first Olympic experience was like, and how everything is settling in now that it's all said and done. Heather is from Massachusetts and she went to the University of Massachusetts. And she's now based out of Boston. That 1,500-meter team for the Olympics this year was a really tough team to make, so it was really exciting to see her be a part of that. And at only 26, she's got so many years ahead of her in this sport. Get her on your list to be watching. She is Heather underscore McLean31 on Instagram. Okay, friends, if you enjoy this podcast, leave us a quick rating and review and let us know what you think of the show. That is always a huge help in new listeners finding the show. Um, I've been podcasting and hosting this show for five years now, and I don't think I've hardly missed an episode asking for a rating and review. So I really appreciate all of those who have already done so. Most recently, Lil Skates, that is the most recent review, says, I've listened to this podcast for years. And I always hear, please leave a review at the beginning of my run and think, I really should do that because I love this podcast. But by the end, I always forget. Not today. Finally came here to say, I love how conversational Lindsay is. I feel like a fly on the wall in the living room, which makes long runs fly by. I almost feel like I'm running with friends. I love the assortment of guests. I listened to the one with Jenny Simpson today, which I loved, then came home to learn she crushed her 10 miler. I love that this podcast isn't 100% running, lots of life sprinkled in. These runners are amazing athletes, but it's great to hear what makes them human too. Just a great running companion podcast. Okay. Thank you so much for that review. I read them. I actually check them every morning. I know that's kind of lame, but I do. And I'm grateful that people appreciate that it's not 100% running and that it is other life experiences sprinkled in as well, because that is my goal of the show. I do want to get to know the people behind the running. All right, that was long-winded, asking for a rating and review, but I appreciate it if you would go do that. Thank you for being here and enjoy my conversation with Heather McLean. All right, today on the podcast, we have Heather McLean on the show. Welcome to the show, Heather. 
Thank you for having me, Lindsay. I'm excited to be here. Yes. How are you doing? You're all settling up in your new apartment. Yeah, I just moved in. So we're trying to order furniture and stuff. So I've been uh, just furniture shopping and looking at um, different ways to set up the place and everything. So yeah, pretty exciting. (laughs) That's what you've been doing this morning, furniture shopping? Um, Well, I had practice this morning and then I came back and was doing a little bit of like regular shopping because I got sidetracked and then some furniture shopping. (laughs) I am doing the same thing. We recently moved as well. And I always feel like I'm wasting time because I'm like sit online and I'm looking at bed sets and furniture, like I'm looking for a new desk and I just spend like hours looking and then I feel guilty that I've spent all this time searching for things that aren't even in stock or are going to take six months to ship. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And then you, you search for so long and you finally find like a good thing and then you're like, oh wait, this one's way better. So I almost feel like there's way too many options. That's right. To decide on one because there's just so many. So I almost feel like I should just go to a furniture store and just say, I'm getting a couch here and that's it. (laughs) (laughs) This is the problem with the world today. We have too many options all the time. It's ridiculous. And then I'm getting all these ads now because I'm looking for furniture on my Instagram and like Facebook and stuff. So I'm like, oh, look at this ad. So I go to the website. I'm like, oh, this couch is really nice. But then it turns out it's like a fake website. So <laughs> It's so stressful. I know. I was like, maybe I can just walk into Crate and Barrel and be like, what on this floor? What floor yeah. sample can you sell me that I can walk away with today? Yeah, just remodel. Well, that's what my coach told me to do. He said that he went to um, Boston Interior, which is a furniture store, and he just said, um, hey, can you guys come to my place and, like, furnish it for me? And you pay them, and they come, and they look at your place, and then they furnish the whole thing, and they deliver and set everything up. So I'm like, I'm almost on the verge of doing that, even though it'll probably be so expensive, just so that I don't have to, like, think about it. (laughs) I know. Time time is money. Time is money. Exactly. And I'm so bad at interior design. So I am like, nothing's going to match. I'm going to have stuff all over the place. <laughs> oh, same, same, same. I know. And yes, I was just talking to my husband about this yesterday, about my guilt with like spending the time doing it. He's like, I don't think that you should feel guilty about that. That's something that you need to do. You need to furnish your house. Yeah. I'm like, why can't I think of it like that? <laughs> yeah, very true. Very true. <laughs> so how are you settling in back home, like post Olympics and, and everything? Um, honestly, really happy to be back home because we travel most of the year. So I'm just happy to be in one place for a designated amount of time. You know, um, a lot of my friends have been asking me to come visit them here, come visit them there because I have, I had off time. I'm like, no, I'm not leaving Come to me. (laughs) I don't want to travel anywhere. Yeah. I don't want to, I would like to see my friends and family and everything, but I don't want to go anywhere. (laughs) I just want to be at home and like do absolutely nothing. So um, yeah, I took a few weeks off from running, which was really nice and got to, uh, see a lot of my family members and everything. And actually I just moved in with my sister. So she's my new roommate. Um, and yeah, now I've been just continuing to settle in. I just started up running again, which is exciting. And so I'm excited for the year ahead, of course, but very happy to just like be in Boston and not be traveling or doing anything. And, um, kind of going by the beat of my own drum. <laughs> what did your life look like post Olympics? 
It was kind of strange. Like, I feel like pre-Olympics, it was really loud. Everybody wanted to be a part of the experience. Like, even when I was there, I had so many people texting me every single day, like, asking what I was up to that day or what was going on in the village or, like, how I was feeling and um, leading up as well, obviously. Like, everybody wants to be a part of it. So, you know, a ton of people reached out to do podcasts or interviews or um newspapers and I really had to limit myself because I, I got really excited at first I'm like oh of course like I say yes to everyone but then I'm like overwhelming myself with all of the stuff that I'm doing because I'm like going from one interview to like one call to one podcast and uh, it was just pretty exhausting so but then yeah as soon as I was done I felt like it was just like silence and it was kind of nice for a little while but yeah it was just a weird experience because it was, it was like, all these people wanted to be a part of it while you're there. But then when you get home, it's like, oh, you're just normal person again. So <laughs> it was just, it's hard to explain. It was just really strange. Do you think, you think it was the hype, obviously, of, of like making the Olympic team. Do you consider yourself, when you made the team, did you consider yourself an underdog going into that race? Um, going into the Olympics or the trials? The trials. Uh I think so. I I mean, I definitely like have had a few great races like over the last few years and I definitely showed potential to make the team, but I def I don't think I was many people's picks, which is okay. Um and I kind of liked it that way because, you know, no pressure was on me at all and my coach believed in me and like my agent believed in me and like the people who I was closest to believed in me and that's all that really mattered to me. It didn't matter that I was on like some random poll of like who's going to make the team or somebody's estimations and I knew that if I had I raced to my potential and I stuck with like my coach's race plan then I could have a good chance of making the team and I didn't need like the whole world to know that too you know so yeah I mean I definitely would say like I wasn't many people's picks but that's okay (laughs) yeah I wonder if in some way it takes off the pressure where you talk about like Ellie where everybody kind of assumed she would be on the team mm-hmm. and yeah. so if you don't have that pressure going in it almost makes making the team from the outside looking in more exciting because we all thought certain people would make the team we all thought Ellie would make the team right yeah and so seeing you make the team was very exciting. Maybe we just, maybe certain people hadn't followed your career as much, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that affected the race at all? Like your ment- your mentality going into it? I mean, it, it definitely felt weird, like going on the starting line, because I didn't have any uh, a family there. I had a lot of friends there, but um, I didn't have much, I didn't have any family there because it was so far, like it was yeah. hard for my family, I have such a big family to get out there. And I didn't want to like put that burden on them. Also, like I have trouble asking for (laughs) support. So I always feel bad, like asking my family members to go out there. So yeah, going on the start line, I remember, um, like a lot of the other girls that were in the race had like whole, uh, um, like groups of people cheering for them and cheering their names and stuff. I'm like, oh, this kind of feels weird. You know, I had like the one or two solo people in the stands like, go Heather. So that was really nice. But um, yeah, it was definitely just like a weird feeling. It's hard to describe because 
like I really believed in myself in that moment and I really believed I could make it. And I was just trying not to focus on like what anybody else was thinking or what the outside world was thinking or um, what people in the race were thinking or what people in the stands were thinking and stuff like that. So I was just trying to focus on my own race. And yeah, it definitely made it like all the more exciting because um, it, I don't, and nobody really expected it from me. It was kind of like, oh, I wasn't expected to do it, but it was like a bonus that I did, you know? Um, so it was definitely really great. And, you know, they always say like third place is the happiest. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> you're like a one out from not being in there. So, uh, yeah, I was definitely very, very happy. <laughs> yeah. And it was a close, it was pretty close, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Definitely very close. Um. Okay, and then talk to us about your coach, Mark Coogan. I loved his post, I think it was post-trials interview, where he's like, you never would have guessed it, two women from UMass coming and, and making the team. And he was just so proud, and it sounded like he was just so confident in what he knew you could produce at that race. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he had been telling me for like months, maybe years at that point, um, you can make this team, you can make this team, you can make this team. And he was telling me that like before I believed I could make the team. So having a coach that really believes in you and is telling you straight up and like Mark's really realistic. He's a super realistic coach. He's not going to tell you you can do something if he doesn't think you can do it. And I think that's like the harsh reality sometimes, but he's realistic and believes in you and makes you believe in yourself, but you just have to believe him when he's believing in you. And so I had gotten to the point where in workouts and everything, I was doing, I was having really, really great workouts. And like me and Ellie were working out so great together the last few months. And we had kind of talked about it a little bit. And Mark had mentioned it at practice a lot. And so I was finally like turning the corner and being like, yeah, this is something I want to do. And um, so, yeah, I mean, it was super exciting for him as a coach too to have like two people make the Olympic team in that event the same event and obviously like we train together at practice every day and uh, we train really well together we've had such great workouts so it's a culmination of like both our hard work and like a testament to how great of a coach he is and how well he's prepared us for that day talk to us about training with Ellie what do you guys do for each other like what have you learned from her um definitely how to be more fearless and competitive Uh, like Ellie I always admire her for her fearlessness like she always goes towards the front of races and um, in workouts too she's always aggressive and I think that makes me more of an aggressive person a workout person because we challenge each other in workouts which makes us have better workouts like for instance we've had like we've both PR'd in the she's PR'd in like the 400 in a workout by like having me do the workout with her because that my strength is like the four eight, whereas her strength is like 15 5k. So uh, like if I'm doing a tempo run with her, I'm probably going to run a lot faster than I would do it if I was by myself. Um, So I think we can challenge each other in, in ways, in ways that like support where are not so much our weaknesses, but things that we can develop more are. So like for her, maybe that's like around speed. So me and Shifa really help her in speed. And then Katrina and Ellie really help me in endurance. So um, yeah, I think we just support each other a lot. And we also support each other holistically, like just like well-rounded because we're all really great friends, me and the whole team or the whole team. And I, I guess I should say. Um, so 
like a lot of times at practice, we're not even talking about anything to do with running. We're just talking about life stuff. And um, we deal with, everybody deals with their own struggles every day. And everybody on the team is really understanding of that. And they're just great individuals to talk all of that through and be with every day because they're my support system. And Ellie's a big, a really big part of that support system. And I've gotten really close with Ellie over the years, especially in college. So yeah, it makes it all the more special that like we get to train together, obviously, as really good friends. Um, so we're almost like co-workers, too, but also that we got to have this crazy like once in a lifetime, hopefully more than once in a lifetime experience together. Yeah, you are co-workers. How big is yeah. your team out there? So we have um, seven members, but we're hopefully getting a few more this year. Yeah, so it's pretty small. <laughs> And is it is the majority of the team 1500 meter runners? What does that look like? Um, it's it ranges from 800 to 5k. Okay. Yeah, and Katrina's done 10k, so I guess you could say 10k too. But uh, we all are like s- strong in like I would say 1508. I don't know Katrina. I need to look her up, I suppose. She's Mark's daughter. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so talk to us about that relationship with Mark, how you ultimately decided that's where you wanted to be. You know, you signed with New Balance. You can probably mm-hmm. go anywhere, do whatever you want. Actually, not true. I signed with Team New Balance Boston. Okay. Um, oh, so, you're with Boston. Yeah. Okay. I signed up to like be coached by Mark. Okay. So... um that's like the great part about being in a team is like you have your coach and like everything's included kind of thing. But when I was first coming out of college, uh, during my fifth year, Mark reached out and I started chatting with him and I knew Ellie was probably going to go with team new balance Boston. So, okay. Um, and I had been good friends with Ellie at that point already because we had both been in new England schools. Like every time we went to NCAAs, it was usually just us two from our teams and our coaches were really close. So we ended up being becoming really close and, um, I knew we would train really well together if we had the opportunity to. And I was kind of at a point in my career where um, I was choosing between like whether to pursue like a career career full time or uh, to kind of do running on the side and see how far I can take it. And so Mark reached out and it was just a really good opportunity because like I wasn't good enough to really uh, do running full-time at that point um I was still in school finishing my graduate program and I was kind of just seeing how far I could take it like within the next few years to see if maybe at some point it was something I could pursue full-time so it just seems like a really it ended up set being a perfect setup because I was still in Amherst which is about two hours from Boston and so I would drive down like for workouts to Boston and drive back for like my night classes in Amherst and I was working full time on campus in Amherst like during my the last year of my graduate program so uh he basically just like told it to me how it was was like I'm going to treat you like an adult on this team and um if you buy into the my training and everything you'll develop and you'll do really well and uh, I just really trusted him and I remember having like our first like real talk or whatever I think we were like at a coffee shop or something, he drove up to Amherst to like come meet me. And um, yeah, I just really was like, okay, this, I could see that, that training under this person would be really great for me. And like, obviously it paid off. (laughs) Yeah. It's so wild to think of you in that position. Like I'm not good enough to 
really foresee this full time. You needed this other job mm-hmm. to, year, you know, I mean, it wasn't that long ago, right? How long ago was that? Um, That was 2019. Yeah. I mean, that's two years. I know. <laughs> and the Olympics has been pushed back, you know. So what is it that you've done with him both mentally and physically, this is a big question. There could be so many layers to this, but that instilled the confidence that this is what you can do full time. And then ultimately, you know, you did all that physical work, but there's so much mental work that goes into believing Mm -hmm. that you can become an Olympian. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think part of it is that I finished school and I made the choice, like whether or not I was going to, run or try to run full-time like earn a contract or um if I was going to like find a career and run at the same time and that was a really hard choice for me because I had worked so hard academically to get into a place where I could if I wanted to take the career route get um be in a really good career position so I was like, okay, well, you know, it might be really hard. Like, what if I'm not, uh, don't have the times right away to get a contract and so I'm going to have to get the side job. So I made that decision pretty quickly. Like I graduated from UMass in the spring of 2019. And then that summer is when I had like a really good summer of racing, but I was working like all the time when I was home at some like beer garden that was in Boston. Oh, that was really? Yeah. Just because I obviously needed an income. And, um, I remember like getting into the middle of, I was like going from like a 11, like I finished work at like 11 or 12 or something. And I went home and then, um, I was subletting a room in Boston, actually in Ellie's apartment at the time and parking is just like awful. So I was driving around the neighborhood for like an hour looking for parking. So now it's like one o'clock in the morning at this point, we had a workout at nine And I was sitting there like, oh, my gosh, like, I just hope this pays off. I hope this pays off. I hope this pays off. And so, yeah, it was just a it was a really hard transition for me uh, at first because I I mean, everyone like worries about financials and like me, especially because I didn't grow up with much. So I always want to be in a secure place financially. And so I needed to make the plunge and that was difficult for me but I did it and as soon as I like made the plunge and was like okay um now I don't have this academic stress like I don't have this extracurricular stress because I was doing a lot of clubs and like a part of a lot of groups and stuff like didn't have that anymore uh and I wasn't doing like all this work full-time I honestly like felt a sigh of relief all of a sudden and that's when I started to drop my times And so I was like, okay, I'm dropping my times now just from having like very little stress in my life. So like what could happen if I actually start trying to fine tune these like little things that make me not do as well as my potential. So like one of those big things is having like belief in myself. And um, I think it's like a common issue amongst women, like imposter syndrome. And I definitely experienced it while I was in my graduate program too, like thinking that I don't belong there, that um, I'm not good enough to be there, I'm not as talented or uh, as fast or smart as, like, these other women. So I definitely had to, like, affirm myself that those are things that I'm equally as capable of in that if I put myself out there and trust all the training that I've been doing, trust all the work that I've been doing, like, I'll really be able to uh, accomplish, like, some big things. And... 
So that was like the piece I really had to work on for myself. And like part of being able to work on that was just a like taking care of myself and focusing on the things that make me happy and the things that make me a better athlete, but also be like removing a lot of the stressors in my life that I had previously like focused more on. Um, And then of course, like Mark takes care of the training aspect of things because like now that I'm, I was a full-time runner, I was able to train like a full-time runner. Like I'm able to do the mileage that I need to do and like get a good double in and rest and recover after and like get my full eight to nine hours of sleep, like which I wasn't really doing before. And so, yeah, it was like a, definitely a two, like, I don't know how to explain two tone job or something. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know if that was a, a roundabout way of explaining that, but <laughs> yeah, no. So when you signed with uh, New Balance Boston uh, to work with Mark, was that a full contract at the time, or was that like a smaller deal? Um, that was more of uh, that wasn't like a full contract. Okay, at the time. it was just uh, I would be working with like Mark in hopes that work up to like a something where I supported more so that I could do it more full time. Okay. So, so like I was gear. Running. Yeah. And that was because I didn't run the times yet. Like I, I hadn't run like a world standard or anything. And I was never like NCAA champ or anything. And I had potential, but like, obviously everyone has potential. So it's like what, what you do with it that matters. And, um, I just needed to prove myself and I kind of liked the challenge a little bit. Like I like being able to prove myself and obviously I hope I did that <laughs> and I hope I continue to like have that mindset because I do want to like continue to prove to myself like how much I can do. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of cool to have the opportunity to prove yourself compared to winning all these NCAA titles and like getting recruited straight out of, out of school to sign with somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it was definitely like, it was hard at, a lot of the time because uh, you're always questioning whether or not it's going to happen. Yeah. But um, yeah, it definitely gave me like a little bit of extra motivation, I think. Okay. So 2019, you signed New Bounce Boston, kind of a gear, little maybe travel support, things like that. And then you really signed a contract <laughs> in 2020. Yes. Okay. Just in time to give yourself a year to train for those, those Olympic trials. I know, yeah. And so, uh, yeah, in 2020 is when I like, I, I usually do something in the fall just because I like to do something that takes my mind off of, uh, just like practice and running and just to have something extra. Like this fall, I'm actually is the first fall that I'm not doing anything. So now I'm kind of going stir crazy, but <laughs> I last two falls at like local high schools. Um, so that was really fun. It's super good experience. So I was coaching in the fall and then, uh, then like during the spring and summer, obviously like I, I'm just running. Yeah. You, so you were coaching like a high school team? Yep. I coached at Milton Academy my first year out of school, which is um, a local boarding school. And I coached the boys team. And then um, last year I was coaching at Lincoln Sudbury. That's so cool. Yeah. And I I really like coaching. It's really fun. Um, It's just hard to do sometimes when you're like exhausted. And then, (laughs) yeah. So and uh, both the schools that I coached at were kind of far from Boston. So that was a little difficult at times too, but it was definitely fun to kind of see what it was like, what it's like from the perspective perspective of these new runners, where everything's like kind of fresh and um, 
any advice that you give them, they like run away with it. So, uh, yeah, it's just nice to like be reminded of a time when it was everything was a lot simpler. What do you think about? It seems like you developed as an athlete a lot more post college. Like you mentioned, yeah. you never won an NCAA title. So I'm curious what your thoughts are on that because you can clearly be successful both ways. We have great runners that are Olympians that did win NCAA titles. Mm-hmm. and But then we have people with your storyline. So I'm curious what you think the positives to this storyline are. I think the positives for me maybe is that I'm not like particularly burnt burnt out because I haven't been doing this like my whole entire life and also it's definitely given me a lot of perspective um like for instance how I was mentioning when I came home like I'm just a normal person again it's kind of nice because uh like no one in my family does really a ton of sports and a lot of my friends at home now are they maybe did sports like in high school or college but um they're not professional like runners or athletes now And that's really refreshing to me because uh, I don't, it's not my whole entire life. Mm. And I think that will help me a lot, like when I'm transitioning out of a sport at some point. Um, And of course, it's a large part of my life. And I'm so like grateful for all these like experiences and friends and things that I've gotten from running. But at the same time, it's definitely uh, made me want to like branch out of the community sometimes and be with people who just like talk about normal things whereas like I know there's there are a lot of runners who have been around it for like their whole lives and like that's kind of like their whole life is running and it kind of like takes the pressure off of me a little bit because since no one I like hang out with or none of my family members like totally understand it it's anything I do is like remarkable (laughs) (laughs) and so it's kind of nice because like I mean, not, neither my parents were runners and um, my mom's like always just so proud of like everything I do, which of course you want like somebody to be hard on you sometimes if you want to like, if you didn't do super well. So sometimes you're like, oh, you had a great race. I'm like, mom, no, I didn't. But, um, <laughs> it is kind of nice other times to just have that like everything is new to them. And it's nice for me when I'm like trying to take a a mental step back from running and just think about other things to have normal people in my life. Um, So I think that's definitely a pro too, is just not like having every aspect of my life just about running. And it's, it's, I mean, this is my work now, so it's definitely better work-life balance for me. Hey friends, a quick break to thank Prevenex for supporting this episode of the podcast. If you're looking for a place to get clean and effective, clinically effective supplements to promote longevity and everyday health, look no further than Prevenex. I take their supplements, their vitamins, their Joint Health Plus every day, and we love their protein powder over here. For runners, I want to tell you about the Joint Health Plus supplement. I've had so many people that have started using this and have reported back to me that they have had so much relief in their joints. This is a supplement that delivers the ingredients that are clinically proven to offer the most comprehensive and complete joint protection and relief available on the market. Hey, and if you try it out and it doesn't work, you don't enjoy it, you can always get your money back and ship it back. I love Prevenex and 
all that they stand for. They have a great give back model. If you purchase their super bites for your kids, which my kids take every day, they actually donate a bottle of those super bites to malnourished kids around the world. So they're just doing a lot of great work. And I know so much has been put into this product. I've actually interviewed the founder over on the Illuminate podcast, David Block. And so if you want to learn more about Prevenex before you start purchasing their products, I highly recommend you checking out that episode. That's episode 51 on the Illuminate podcast. All right. So if you want to check it out, get that delicious vegan protein powder, Joint Health Plus, multivitamins for yourself or your kids, go to Prevenex.com and use the code ANOTHER at checkout. That's Prevenex.com and use the code ANOTHER. Okay. So I'm curious, you said you were kind of pouring everything into your academics. What, what did you get your graduate degree in and what was your undergrad in? Um, I did my undergrad in psychology and then I did my graduate degree in higher education administration with a okay. focus in sports administration. So that's like AD or assistant AD, um, like working in an athletic department. Every time I'm like, oh, higher education administration, people are like, teaching. I'm like, nope, didn't do any uh, teaching classes or anything like that. But yeah, I did a grad, full-time graduate assistant my, both years in my graduate program and my first year was in the Center for Student Success, which is like the overall campus center. And then my second year, I focused just in athletics and like helping develop the athletic department and um, the student athlete success department within the athletic department. Um, so, yeah, I was doing that full time. And then undergraduate, like I was doing research and I was part of like a lot of like academic clubs and athletic clubs, of course, as well, like uh, student athlete advisory committee so I was kind of just doing a lot because I really liked to do it, but it was definitely taking its toll on me mentally and I just didn't realize it. And I was really overcommitting myself. And that's something I'm big about now is like trying not to overcommit myself, but I'm, it's so instinctual for me to do that, that I always am like making plans <laughs> on, top of, on top of plans and then having to feel bad about canceling on so-and-so or whatever. Um, so yeah, I've definitely gotten better about it, but that's why like after the trials, I'm like, okay, like I'll just say yes to everybody. I'm like, okay, I can't do that. <laughs> Doesn't it feel good sometimes when somebody else cancels and you're like, ah, yes. yes. Exactly. <laughs> you're like, oh my gosh, you mean I don't have to go anymore and I'm not the one that canceled? <laughs> <laughs> you're like, oh, I didn't want to go anyway, but that was really <laughs> nice of you to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, talk to us a little bit about more about your growing up. You said you didn't have much, so that really affected your desire to be successful mm -hmm. in whatever you did. I know you have seven siblings. That's so yeah. many siblings. <laughs> I know. Yeah, they're all so great and so accomplished in their own way. So yeah, I'm so proud of them. My sister's in school right now, so she just moved in with me. She's like over there doing homework. <laughs> <laughs> listening to me the whole time but um yeah I grew up in Peabody Mass and I have seven siblings but um we my mom was a single mom like most of our lives so uh you know she did an amazing job of course like making sure that we had everything we could but she was a single mom and she wasn't getting any support like financially or even emotionally I would say from like outside sources so uh, all we really had was her and all she really had was us. And so that was really tough on her, of course, financially. So 
we're kind of always like making ends meet and everything. And um, of course, like that means you and like a single woman with seven kids that like obviously warrants judgment from like the outside world. Mm-hmm. So that was probably really hard on her too. And then it was definitely hard on us, like seeing our my, our mom like get judged from like random people just because she's a single mother with like seven children. Um, but she, of course, like always did her best and made sure that we had the things that we needed. But like I learned and all my siblings pretty much learned from like a pretty young age that like if you need something, then like you have to work for it and like get a job or um, figure out a way to be able to pay for it because like we, there was like hardly any uh, money to be able to pay for it. So that was like a big thing with college is for me, I didn't know. I really always got great grades and like always did well in school, but I didn't know that college would be an opportunity for me because I had no idea how I would pay for it. So when I started running and then the opportunity started to arise that I'd be able to get a full scholarship, like I didn't even know what a full scholarship was. So uh, that I remember was a huge eye-opening thing for me because I'm like, oh, wow, like I could actually go to a four-year college. Like For me, I had always thought the path would be you know, maybe I'd work full time and go to a community college for a few years and then hopefully like transfer to a full time college. But um, yeah, of course, like every day I'm so thankful for my scholarship, but also just like the work ethic that I think growing up in that way uh, made me like definitely want to work harder for the things I have. And uh kind of always be in a place where I feel like secure financially um so I'm like obviously really big on just like making sure that I'm in a good place and that I'm setting myself up for a better future and stuff like that because I know that was not always easy for my mom to be able to do because she didn't have like those income sources and of course when you have like five kids under the age of like I think at one point she had five kids under the age of 12 or something and um so obviously it was probably hard for her to work full-time so she was doing teaching but she was only part-time doing that and um so yeah she definitely struggled and it we definitely saw and it definitely made us like more aware and um want to help out where we can as we get older like everyone helps out now which is really amazing and Um, I think it's definitely helped make me and all my siblings like really successful in their own regard because we all like know that, yes, you can get this thing if you work for it. (laughs) And that goes for like financially, but also, you know, like if you work really hard at like running, like you could possibly build up to a, uh, a way for you to be able to do this full time. Wow. What an incredible person your mom must be. Oh yeah. She's great. (laughs) She's wacky, but of course she deserves to be. She raised seven children. (laughs) 100%. 100%. I mean, parenting with a partner is hard. I can't imagine doing it alone. Financially, emotionally. Exactly, yeah. All the things. When I say like alone, like she was doing it alone. Like her both her parents had um passed away at a really young age for her um and she had one sister who has like obviously who's a lot older and um she was helped out a lot too while she could but that was like all my mom really had so she was doing it just like completely alone and I think back on it I'm like dang I could barely take care of myself sometimes (laughs) it's so it's so much you know I wonder and this is like such a 
premature question, but I just wonder like how that will affect if you ever have kids, how you parent your kids. If you have, you know what I mean? And if you have more than you need, you grew Uh up with this, like we're kind of scraping to get by life. And Mm -hmm. I struggle with that sometimes with my own, sometimes with my own kids, because, um, my parents were both like, my dad was an entrepreneur. He was a roofer, very Mm -hmm. blue collar. We've talked about that term before and somewhere like late elementary school his business Mm -hmm. started to do well but I remember before that like yeah so you remember a time when it was like that yeah and um obviously two parents and only three kids but um and my parents were super young but I think about that all the time you know when it's just like oh we just stop at McDonald's or just like little things like that are just so simple and to me I'm like okay whatever I can buy these happy meals for my kids but they just take it for granted you know oh yeah I, I remember I like do that all the time. Like I'll stop at Dunkin all the time. I'm like, I remember there was a time when we would stop at like Dunkin Donuts and I'd be like, oh, mom, can I get a bagel, a bagel with cream cheese? And she's like, no, we can't afford that. And uh, so, yeah, I, I also think about that. But I always joke, too, because I'm the oldest girl in the family and you know how like the oldest girl goes. So I was like second mom. Uh-huh. So I'm like, I've already raised a few kids. <laughs> I always joke about it with my friends because... Um, of course, like I was the one who was always helping my mom out growing up. And, uh, so I love kids and like, I love like taking care of kids and taking care of people and everything to a fault sometimes. Um, and I definitely think that'll help me too. Like when I'm a mom of my own, but, uh, yeah, it definitely puts like things into perspective, Mm -hmm. especially like it makes me a lot more grateful for being able to afford things on my own now. And it makes me want to help out where I can, like, that's a big thing I'm passionate about is giving back to like the communities that supported me and um, giving back where I can to like students who might've been in the same circumstances that I was, because I know like getting a pair of running shoes, like my first pair of running shoes. I remember when I joined track my junior year, cause they told me I had to get some. My mom was like, okay, we have like $10 to spend on running shoes. I'm like, all right, I'll get some running shoes at like, uh, I think I got them at Burlington coat factory. They were FUBU's. And nice. they were $10 nice. shoes, lasted me two and a half years. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, I can see how just a simple thing, like a pair of running shoes can make like such a difference in somebody's life. Like that was like the only pair of shoes I probably owned at the time. And uh, now I have like all these shoes from New Balance. <laughs> One of my rooms in that, my new apartment is just filled with shoes. My sister's like, this is ridiculous. And I think back to a time where we all only had one pair of shoes and we would wear those shoes into the ground like before we got a new pair. So, um, yeah. <laughs> and it definitely makes me like over spoil my younger siblings and my nephews and nieces. Cause I'm like, Oh, I want you guys to have everything. And, um, so like it was, it's a really funny, we all joke because my youngest brother, he's 17. So, uh, we all do Yankee swap for Christmas now. Like me and my siblings, we, the older ones do Yankee swap, but everybody gets Matthew, my youngest brother, oh. a present. So he gets completely spoiled on Christmas because we're all like, we want Matthew to have like what we never had. So we all like, get him so much. <laughs> and of so course, good. my mom's able to do a lot more for him now too because she's able to work a lot more um, since it's just him in the house. You know, I also think it's like uniquely American maybe to not still pitch in. 
you know, you hear about yeah. people in other countries, like you grow up and you, you have a family and you make your own money and it's just like communal living, like everybody's <laughs> sharing. So I mm -hmm. think that's really cool that you still take like a lot of ownership and living that way. Oh yeah. Like I, one of my favorite questions to ask people is, um, uh, like if you got a million dollars today, what would you do with it? And so many people I ask, it's like, invest or like buy a new car I'm like oh well I would buy my mom a house and then I would do this like for all myself and it's just interesting like how it's kind of shaped my perspective on things because um yeah it's definitely made me more I think growing up that, the way we did like we were we we had each other and that was it like me and my siblings so now like it's the same way like we have each other even though we have so many people in our lives to support us now um, we still kind of go back to that and like want to help out where we can. Okay. I'm curious and we'll move on from this after this one last of question. <laughs> um, okay. So our, our new house, we just, we just moved into, it's technically mm -hmm. three bedrooms and then we have an office and mm -hmm. we have four kids and all four of our kids, they're all boys. So that makes it easy, but they, oh, all, wow. they all share a room because yeah. that leaves me with a space to work and my husband with a space to work. And I, and I, my husband and I have been talking about this a lot because we're like, I think it's unique that all four of our kids would share yeah. a room. But then we're like, why wouldn't they share a room? Like why did they don't all need their own space and like these yeah. big closets? Like what, when they go off to college, they're going to be sharing this little dorm room, Yeah, you know? So, um, anyway, my question is, is did you guys, how many of you piled into a, a room together? Oh yeah. Um, at one point I remember I transitioned from, we moved around a lot. So we always had like, we moved a lot, a lot. Cause my mom was a renter. So, um, you're always looking for like when you're a renter, looking for a better like housing situation, whatever. So, um, I remember when I was younger, it was me, my brother and my sister. And I think we had like a set of bunk beds and then a bed. And then Corey got too old to my brother got yeah. too old to be in the room with us, obviously, like by the time he was maybe five or something. So then it was just me and my sister and then my younger sister is born. So it was us three together and we were together for a long time um until we moved and then my when my oldest brother moved out of the house because he was like the only one who had his own room then I finally got my own room but my we always had people sharing like my yeah. sister always shared and my two younger brothers always shared um and so then me and my older brother like in high school and stuff we had our own rooms um, but then I went back to sharing a room for a little while and then I went back to my own room cause we, we, as a kid would move out, we would move uh -huh. and then my size down in a room. So, um, she went from like a five bedroom to a four bedroom, but honestly you make a very good point that when you get to college, like you're sh sharing this tiny dorm room, like I shared a tiny dorm room for two years, like while I was in college and, um, I kind of missed not having somebody to share a room with because I had shared a room most of my life. So uh, I kind of felt lonely when I was in my own bedroom. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like there's something there's a there's something to be said for that because you're kind of teaching your kids in a, in a small way to like, hey, roll with the punches. Like, it's not going to be exactly how you want it to be. And guess what? Life's not going to be like that either. Exactly. And it teaches them to like not spend so much time in their bedroom. I yes. think. Kids these days spend so much time in their bedroom, like on their phones and 
um, on their laptops and watching TV and stuff and not enough time outside. And I remember like when we were sharing a room, like we would never want to be in there because when you're that age, you all hate each other <laughs> and you're fighting all the time. Yep. So either we were in there like playing imaginary games or whatever, or we were outside like interacting with other kids in the neighborhood and like doing things that were outside and not inside. And uh, it definitely helped to get us to like get out of the room because you didn't want to be in this like tiny space all the time. For sure. I'm like, we are not going to live this life where kids have their own devices and they're sitting <laughs> in their rooms on phones. We're just not doing oh it. My, not crazy. Do it. Yeah. So many kids these days, even like my younger siblings, like they grew up totally different than I grew up. Um, and so it's funny to like, they've all had phones since they were in like middle school or whatever. Like, this is just so weird that you guys have all this stuff that, um, like social media and stuff that wasn't really around when I was a kid. I think we had MySpace, but, uh, that was about it. (laughs) Oh, I remember MySpace. Yeah, I know. I, I can't say what I'll do until I get there. My oldest is nine, but I'm pretty, I'm pretty gung ho on like, you're not getting a phone until you're driving until you're mm-hmm. 16. So we'll see. But yeah, yeah I mean, it, it's a lot. It's a lot mm-hmm. for a kid. Um, okay. Friends that are listening, not interested in kid talk. I'm sorry. I always, <laughs> my mind always goes there. Cause you're a mother. Of course it always goes there. <laughs> and you know, when I talk to driven, like motivated people that are doing successful things, like I just love hearing about their upbringing and like things that their parents did or just what played into your desire to be so driven, you know? Absolutely, yeah. Hey everybody, it's that time of year again to start talking about the Donna Marathon weekend. You know I go to that race every single year if you've been listening to this podcast for a while. I've been partnering with them for years and the Donna Marathon helps support those who are walking through breast cancer financially, emotionally. They're doing great work at the Donna Foundation and they have a 5K that's coming up. It's October 2nd, 2021. It's the 15th running of the Players Donna 5K, which will be the highlight of Breast Cancer Awareness Month. This family-friendly event welcomes runners and walkers of all levels to experience a unique 5K on the back nine of the player stadium course at the TPC Sawgrass. This is in Point Vedra Beach, Florida. You can register for this event in person or virtually by using the code Lindsay10 and you'll get 10% off. And if you wanna go ahead and get the Donna Marathon weekend on your calendar, which is the weekend of February 4th through 6th, they have a 5K, a half marathon, a marathon and lots of challenge events, including a relay that weekend. I will be there and we'll definitely be having a meetup. If you want to go ahead and get that on your calendar and plan for that, use the code Lindsay10 to sign up for 10% off. And you can just go to breastcancermarathon.com to learn more and sign up for those races. And know that when you sign up for any of the Donna events, you are directly supporting those walking through a breast cancer diagnosis and their families. So It's a great cause and it's a really fun experience. Again, go to breastcancermarathon.com and use the code Lindsay10 for 10% off any Donna event. All right, back to the show. 
Um, okay, let's talk about the Olympics a little bit. Expectations <laughs> going into the Olympics. I know you made it to the sem- semifinals. Of course you want to make it to the finals, but <laughs> talk to me about nerves, excitement, like being in Tokyo. Um, yeah, I mean, it was just a completely like unique and new experience to me. And I think that that might have like stunned me a little bit. Um, of course, like we were talking about, one of my big things was like making it to the final and, but I had realized like afterwards, it took me a few weeks to reflect on it. And of course, but after a few weeks, I finally realized I'm like, you know what? Like I had this big goal of making the final, but I only made that goal after I made the the Olympics. Like I'd been like planning on this goal for less than a month. And, um, I didn't even know I would make it to the Olympics. So um, honestly, like the whole experience being there was amazing. I wish, of course, that we had gone to explore Tokyo more. My brother was stationed there for a few years, so he had all these like recommendations and stuff, but we still got to drive through the city most days and, um, we got to experience a little bit of the culture and how different it is from the United States. And I know we were talking about earlier how in like a lot of different countries, um, and like compared to the United States, uh, like you, the U.S. is very individualized compared to a lot of countries. And like one of the big things in Japan is recycling. So they have like gigantic recycling initiatives and they recycle like everything. And it's so particular what they recycle and where. And I thought that was really interesting to see because, I mean, I've heard it a lot that Japanese culture is um, less individualized and more like uh, I guess what's the word for, I'm looking for like, like group uh, we're in this together yeah, kind of thing. Oriented and familiarized and um, so it was definitely interesting to see that in action and how strict they are about the recycling policies but that's because they want like everybody to be on the same page about it and so yeah that was really interesting like the athlete village was an incredible experience like it was crazy to think we we're all sleeping on the grounds of the most amazing athletes in the whole wide world. And um, yeah, so it was just a privilege and it was an incredible experience. And I don't like, it's hard to describe because it seems so surreal. Um, And I was trying not to fangirl so much because I'm like, Hey, like I'm one of these people now. Like I can't be fangirling over this whole thing all the time. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it was really great. And of course, like the races, Um, I had like, obviously you go to the Olympics and your one goal is like to run the best you've ever raced. And I ran well, but I definitely didn't run like the best I've ever raced. And so that was hard to come to terms with, but it definitely made me more motivated. Like that was my first time ever on the world stage. And so it gave me a lot of perspective and it, I'm really grateful that I had that experience because now I know what it's like. And now I know like what I want to improve on and what I want to do in the future. Who were you fangirling? Oh, just like everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Like you see all these people on Instagram all the time. And um, yeah, just like everyone. Like there was a lot of people who I've only ever seen on Instagram. And like I you see them in your feet or whatever. And I saw them in person. I'm like, whoa, like this is what this person looks like. Or they just seem like a normal person. I'm like, maybe people think that way about me. I mean, I don't know about that, but <laughs> it, well, it those, was, 
yeah. those people and those people that have been following you, yeah, they think the same way. I know this is like the <laughs> most surface level follow up question I could have asked based on everything you just said, but I was curious. <laughs> so, so you've had a couple weeks to reflect on the experience. Um, like, how's everything settling with you? Like, how are you feeling? Um, I definitely. I was for a while I was like I feel weird like this is a weird feeling I've never felt this way before because it was just radio silence almost and um so like you just had this crazy experience like once in a lifetime experience and you're riding such a high like from the trials all the way to like post olympics I was on such a high and then it's like okay now you're uh, like I decided to take off time like a little bit earlier uh, just because of like how draining it was, the whole experience. And so I'm like, okay, I'll take time off. Like that was a lot for me. And I think it was definitely good for me to take time off. But just like going back into normal life and even just like not getting up to run every day, um, I definitely thrive on routine and I didn't have any routine. So that definitely got to me because I wasn't doing like all of the things that I had been doing all year to like keep me in a routine but I had realized like I was so regimented the whole like the last few years actually to be to be exact but um everything I was doing was so regimented so it was both really good for me and really bad for me to have like absolutely no regimented routine and there was definitely things I realized during that time that affects me more like social media definitely affects me a lot and so it's definitely something I don't want to be on like as much, which is like a hard thing to say because it's part of my job. And like, obviously, I love interacting with people. So I love being like messaging people. But you just feel like you have to get back to so many people and respond to so many messages. And uh, that was really tough as well. Um, so, yeah, I'm like happy that practice is starting up again. And I'm like starting to get back into my routine. But, yeah, it was definitely a strange last few weeks. <laughs> Yeah, you said to me, you were like, sorry, I haven't been on the app. Yes, yeah, I deleted it for a little bit, and then uh, I sorry. had it back, but I, like, was not looking at any of my messages. Like, I would just go on it to repost, like, if I needed to repost something or whatever, but, um, yeah, so now I'm like, okay, well, now I need to find a better balance for how much I'm on it, and, of course, like, the screen limit thing does nothing for me. I know, just <laughs> ignore it. I'm, like, I'm all or nothing. I either delete the app or, like, I have this. I have it on my phone, so, um, but I think, like, having routine in my day will definitely, like, help me better with that. <laughs> I think it does for anybody, yeah. for sure. When you don't have things going on, it's, like, your your default is, to like, yeah, what's going on, on exactly. online, yeah. and it's, like, it's not feeding you anything, really. No, exactly, and some people really thrive off, like, social media and interacting with others online. I just realize I'm not one of those people. And, um, I do better when I'm on it less for sure. Were you having like FOMO from people racing the diamond leagues and things like that? Uh, at first a little bit I was because it's so nice to like see so many people doing so well. Um, but then I was like, you know what? Like I was mostly being like, Oh, like I feel like I should be there. Mm. And are people, uh, frowning upon me for not being there and I'm like I, I have nothing else to prove to anybody like I deserve to um relax for a little bit and it's really great to like watch other individuals doing super well like for the U.S. and being and representing the U.S. really well still um but for me personally I was like 
this I need a break. So um, I did have a little FOMO, and it looked like a lot of people who were going were like having fun and going on all these like mini trips together. So. Uh, and I loved going over to Europe like a few years ago when I went. So I definitely missed out on that a little bit. Yeah. You know, I I interviewed Jenny Simpson last week and I asked her what yeah. advice she had for you ladies that, that just ran in the Olympics. And she <laughs> said, keep racing. And, and I was like thinking, man, I don't know. If I just ran in the Olympics, I don't know. This isn't my job. I think I'd need a yeah. break. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if it was if it wasn't my first time, then maybe. Um, but since it was my first time, I was like, that was very exhausting. Like I remember coming back, it was hard for me to like get up and run in the morning. Yeah, like not imagine racing right now. And if you're not there mentally, like you're not gonna do well. And I just like was not there mentally, so um, definitely needed a little bit of time. For myself <laughs> and I will say she said like I'm not their coach or their advisor this is like for me this is what I would do but oh yeah of course yeah and everybody's like some people really do really well when they continue racing and um it that experience probably gives them motivation to like race really well you know but just for me personally I was like okay this is the best decision for me <laughs> what did you learn from her when you three made the team, she was so excited for you and and just genuinely happy for you three and really rooting for you. Um, I mean, I've been watching Jenny like over, obviously, like we grew up watching Jenny. So uh, it was just like so inspiring to even just be on the starting line with her. And I think Ellie said it best, like we all kind of channeled her a little bit, like while we were in Tokyo and her fearlessness and courageousness and like how consistent she is. And I've always admired that about her and um, how level headed she is. And like even in interviews and everything, when you watch her and she's just so like, this is what I need to do. And uh, like, it's just like A to B, that's it. Like, oh, not this or this and this. She's like, oh, I trained really hard and now I need to race really well. And uh, that was definitely really, I really admire her for that. And so obviously to line up on the starting line with her was like, I can't believe I'm at this point in my life. And um, yeah, so it was definitely, we like even people that were there who had been on a team with Jenny before were like, we miss her here. We miss her. And mm everybody like channel your inner Jenny Simpson. And I thought that was really special and like, she's been such an inspiration. So, um, yeah, it was just really special to like this new wave of 1500 meter runners to have somebody who really, um, set the pace for 1500 meter runners in the U S for women. Yeah. It's exciting. The 1500 is like exploding. Oh yeah. It's crazy. The, there's so many great U.S. women right now in the 1500 in the world, of course. But, um, yeah, it's a really great. Um, okay, so I'm going to put your episode out as part of this mile series that we're doing with Under Armour. Mm-hmm. And so um, you, along with Jenny Simpson, Amanda Eccleston, and then Will Lear. So I'm curious if you have any advice to listeners who are training to run a mile or 1500 distance. Oh, um, stay focused on the second and third lap, particularly mm. the third lap. Like you can, everybody can go out in a good 800 pace, but make sure like from 800 to 1200, you're staying focused. 
Stay sharp in the 800 to the 1200. I like it. What's your favorite workout? Um, I really like 400 reps and like going fast, like maybe the last few. That's one of my favorites. But um, yeah, I would say 400 reps actually. That's probably my favorite. <laughs> okay, so we're going to wrap up with end of podcast questions. And I feel like this is a hard question for someone who just became an Olympian and ran their first <laughs> Olympics. <laughs> but what's something professionally or personally that you'd like to do that you haven't done yet? Oh, that is a really good question. Um, let's see. Personally, get a Dunkin' Donuts sponsorship. Yes, I love it. <laughs> so I guess that could be professionally too. <laughs> I've been trying really hard, but I'm, I'm like I said, I like to work for the things in my life, so I'll work for it. <laughs> what do you do? Like you're trying really hard. Did you like email their PR people? What does that look no. like? No, <laughs> I haven't emailed anyone. I mean, they sent me some stuff, which was really cool. So I have this like little Duncan sweat suit that they sent me, but. It'd be cool to have like a gold card to Dunkin'. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Ellie's doing the Cabot Cheese sponsorship. Get your Dunkin' yeah. sponsorship. I know, I'm trying. I'm really trying. So All I right. guess that's my, my professional and personal goal. Um, and also just to continue improving. Like I would like to continue to see like improvements year after year, like while I'm in the sport. Did you decide what you're going to do this fall to take your break? Like to like do something to distract you? Oh, um, no, not yet. Uh, I'm still working on figuring out what I want to do, but, uh, yeah, I haven't decided yet. <laughs> okay. Do you read? Are you a book reader? Yes, I am. I'm oh. reading coming right now. So. Oh, becoming. Yeah. I haven't, I have, I think I've listened to half of it in audiobook, but I'm, I wanted to like read it. So I just started reading that, but I need to get back into, that was part of like my routine thing. Like I always read before bed. And since I was thrown off my routine, like I wasn't reading before bed and I realized that really grounds me and obviously keeps me off of my phone before bed too. So yes. I'm excited to get back into it. And it's so funny because when we go to Flagstaff, all I do is like crush books. And so, um, yeah, hopefully I can do a little bit of that this fall. <laughs> I bought an alarm clock to put next to my bed purposely so I wouldn't take my phone to bed. Yeah. Then I lost my Kindle for like a couple weeks. And so oh, no. I was like, I have to have something. Yeah. And so, and that was my excuse really. But I've, I've <laughs> oh, since no. found my Kindle. So I'm like, plug the old alarm clock in and leave that phone in the kitchen. Yeah. I need to start doing that because I'm so bad about, I don't, I don't usually have a TV in my room either, but there's a TV in my room right now which is just like, I haven't had a TV in my room since I was a kid. Um, so I need to get that out too. <laughs> we, in our new house, we have, um, the bedrooms are like these old 1950s bedrooms. It's got like the double closet, double doors. So that's where you would put the TV. So we don't have one in our room either. And I went forever not having one. And then when I had our last baby, I was like, I want a TV in my room so I can just lay around with this baby and watch TV. Yeah. <laughs> so we had one in there for the last two years, but now we don't. And I'm kind of glad that the, there was just like not even an option. Yeah. Okay. What yeah. is the best, most recent book you've read? Um, the best, most recent? Ooh, that's hard. Um, I just read, I guess the most recent book I read was Think Again. It's by um, Adam Grant. Ooh. <laughs> psychologist in like operational psychologist I think or organizational psychologist and it was all about changing your perspective uh, like 
not going with your gut instinct right away and changing your perspective on how you see things and how to change other people's perspective on how they see things. Um, and of course, it's like really relevant in these times because you hear a lot of the times like people have their opinions and they stick to it, but there's reasons that they become so argumentative when you try to bring up a different opinion and mm -hmm. ways to go bringing up a different opinion or like opening the lines of communication, even if it doesn't change their opinion. So I thought that was a really interesting book. Um, and then, I mean, Becoming's pretty good so far. So. <laughs> Love it. Okay. Um, what is your last message to leave with our audience today? Oh, um, let's see. My last message. I mean, of course, for people, thank you for listening, but also um, continue to believe, believe in yourselves and hopefully this brought you a little bit of inspiration or helps your day out a little bit, <laughs> I guess. You're so fun. This has been really fun to get to know you and learn more about your life. Thank you so much, Heather. Thanks for having me, Lindsay. Enjoy the rest of your day. <laughs> Hey friends, thanks for being here today. Thanks Heather for coming on the show. Make sure you go give Heather a follow, Heather underscore McLean31 on Instagram. You can also find me on Instagram. I'm lindsayhine626. I have a parenting podcast as well if you're looking into that type of show. It's called Why Is Everyone Yelling? I don't think that needs any explanation. <laughs> um, big thanks to the Under Armour All Out Mile for supporting this additional series so that we could have bonus episodes every week on the podcast for four weeks. Go to uaalloutmile.com slash allhaveanother to get signed up for the Under Armour All Out Mile. Make sure to join Team All Have Another. All right, we will see you tomorrow on the podcast as well. We've got a great episode with mountain bike world champion, Sonia Looney. It's a great episode. Can't wait to see you there. Okay, enjoy the rest of your day.